invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. We are thankful for uh, last week the privilege to celebrate in missions, and so we diverge from our Exodus uh, series for that week. Uh, but in a sense, we didn't diverge in this sense that missions is all about God going forth into the world and sending us forth into the world to be a part of capturing uh, those who are trapped, enslaved in our sinful nature and rescuing us into his eternal hope and into a hope in him in this life. That's what missions is about. And Exodus is kind of about the similar things of God sending Moses to rescue his people, bring them out of enslavement in Egypt and to bring them into a physical earthly promised land. So uh, we are really on the same themes in a in a sense, and so I invite you as you turn to Exodus 3 to remember also where we were the last couple of weeks. It is tough when we have a, an interruption there. Uh, first week, we looked at chapter 1 and saw God's people growing and, and prospering and expanding and yet facing tremendous resistance from Pharaoh and him see, seeking to stop that expansion. And then we, um, we saw last, uh, two weeks ago in chapter 2, that Moses then, uh, we see him coming on the scene. God protects him. We see God's way prevailing as he's born and protected from certain destruction and even brought into the house of the elites of Pharaoh's own family. And then he chose to take his own plan, Moses' plan, and pursue it, trying to seize power, killing one of the people who was assaulting one of his people, killing one of these Egyptians, and then having, having been found out, fleeing into the wilderness of Midian. So we see about the first 40 years of his life when Moses was in uh, Egypt. Then we're moved into that next 40 years of his life. A lot of time is transpiring here. As we turn to our passage today, we're actually looking at the transition to that final uh, 40 years, where Moses will be prepared, will be called to be used mightily by God to bring his people out. And as we look at these verses, two big things are going to jump out to us. Who is God? What are these verses showing us about who God is? And who are we? What are these verses showing us? As we see what Moses discovers about who God is, as we see what Moses is discovering about who he is, we too will be Offered the, offered the opportunity to answer uh, those questions. And I want us to turn to this passage, and I'll ask you all to bear with me. I'm fighting a serious sinus head congestion deal, so hopefully we'll be able to make it through uh, all of this today. I'm, I'm, I'm medicated highly. We'll see if I can keep my mind and my throat rocking along okay. Uh, read along with me as I read Exodus chapter 3. I'll read the whole chapter. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, a bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside, he said to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses hid his face as he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go. And gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what you've been doing in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and... You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptian. And when you go... You shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, I do pray that uh, you would be with me, Father, in this time as we hear your word and strengthen me that um, only things that would be encouraging, beneficial for your people would Come from my lips, and Lord, I pray that you would open all of our hearts to see glorious things of you during this time. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amazing occurrences get our attention, don't they? Even ones that we're maybe a little bit skeptical about. Perhaps the most popular and interesting such things in Our time are the UFO sightings we hear about from time to time. Back in 1947, some of the hype began to culminate around Roswell, uh, New Mexico, where 
always seems to be on a military base that these things happen. And sure enough, on sort of the backside of a military base, some army personnel were wandering around and found some metallic material and what they identified as flying disc material. Not sure how one identifies that, but that's what they thought it was. And before you know it, Roswell had become a center for the excitement over UFO sightings. You may have heard as well about the Hills, Barney and Betty Hill. They lived in New Hampshire, a different part of the country. In 1961, they reported traveling upon a rural road and off in the outskirts and being encountered by some strange beings that appeared in a ship from some other place. Not to be outdone uh, by the Americans, the British, as late as 1980, on another military excursion, reported that they had spotted some beings who came down in a little cone-shaped ship and then blasted off. I don't make the stuff up. I just report it, folks. And then, so as to not just go international but galactic, the Apollo 16 mission that was a moon exploration mission, actually reported some of the astronauts that they saw a flying saucer-type thing going through space. Well, when unexpected things appear, we're intrigued, aren't we? Even hearing about them is intriguing to us, even if they're far-fetched, even if they're really (laughs) far-fetched like the ones I just shared with you. We look at this account of Moses in the scriptures, we see a different sort of appearance, but an appearance that's meant to catch our attention of this being coming and appearing to Moses. And this one, of course, unlike the others I described, whatever you may think of them, this one presents itself as rock-solid truth and reality that this happened. We'll talk in a minute about just the miraculous nature of it, but before we even get into that, I want to show some things that were intriguing to me as I thought about this in contrast to the sightings I just described to you. First of all, this is an amazing and true miracle, but it's fairly commonplace, too. You got bushes, you got a hot desert, you got fire, those things happen. It's miraculous what happens with the bush and the fire, but the things, the raw materials, are not flying disc material, something from right around us, in this case right around Moses. And secondly, the one who's coming in this appearance is not some Martian or Wookiee or Borg. (laughs) It's the living God coming. He's coming to speak. He has a message, and he doesn't do it secretly or um, in some silent kind of way, but he speaks directly and speaks a word to Moses. And the third thing we see as well that this message is personal, it speaks personally to Moses in a way that he can understand, in a way that even 3,500 years later we can understand today. So there's application for us in this strange appearance that we read about in the scriptures, a true one for sure. As we look at these verses then, we'll see the main idea, and it's in the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along with the handout. It's just simply this, but when God appears, we have an opportunity to see more of who He is and more of who we are. Those are essential things for us 
in life to see who God is and who we are. Moses encounters God and has a chance to to see him, to understand some of the reality of who he is. God reveals himself to us. And if we understand just a little bit, you don't even have to be, maybe you're visiting or just thinking about spiritual things today and and you maybe don't buy in the whole uh, Christian gospel message, but if we even believe a little bit that there is some being out there who has created us and made us, then it's implied that we should have some relationship with him. So how are we going to have that relationship with this God? The scriptures tell us and describe us as really like children that have fallen down into a dark, dark, deep cave. And we can't see what we need to get out of that cave. And we can't see what we need to get back to our parent, to our heavenly father. He's got to come down into that cave, reveal himself to us, and show us light of truth and grace. So we need that. And as we look at this passage and see God appearing to Moses, it's certainly a call for us to look to God who reveals himself to us. But God doesn't just reveal himself to us in this passage, in the situation with Moses. God's revealed himself throughout time and the pinnacle of that is what we have right here sitting on this communion table his work on the cross that's the most miraculous thing the pinnacle of god's miraculous working is that he's come to us in jesus christ look at these verses today we see that moses comes by this information this opportunity to encounter god and he stops and he goes to see what is there. It challenges us in a lot of ways, but it certainly challenges us with how often throughout our week, how often throughout our day, we walk right past the mighty, miraculous thing that God has done in the cross in sending Jesus for us, and we walk on by and ignore it. We don't take a look at it. We don't learn from it and seek it. God's a God who reveals, but we tend to to wander right past it. These verses aren't just, though, about God who reveals. They're also about Moses who comes to take a look at it. And it reveals some things to us, as we're going to see, that Moses is pretty afraid. He's moved from sort of self-confidence, and a lot of us probably camp out in this camp as well. We've got a thin veneer over our life of personal confidence that we feel we can handle things in life with our family or our job or whatever situations we face, but it's so paper thin that just one little thing comes along and it'll disrupt the whole thing. And we find we built our life on that paper thin veneer of self-confidence instead of confidence in the Lord. We see here that Moses, too, is fearful, fearful to do what God has called him to do. So join me, if you would, today and look in what these verses say about who God is. God is one who reveals, who loves, and who sins. And then also take a look at what it says about us. People who tend to be afraid, because we're afraid, greatly need a God who assures us, who comforts us, encourages us. And yet, nevertheless, are people that are assigned by God things to do for his kingdom. God reveals himself to us. Take a look with me at verse 
1. We're going to camp out on this a little longer than the other points I have for us today. In verse 1, you see how far Moses has declined from where he originally come. Again, he was at this pinnacle in the house of the most powerful ruler of the known world at the time. Now look at what he is doing. Verse 1, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Moses is now on the backside, or I guess it says the west side, of the desert, working for his father-in-law. Listen to that. Working in a blue-collar job, tending sheep. Come from the pinnacle of worldly power to this place. And what's interesting is not just that he's in this place, and maybe we have been there. Maybe you're there today. You recognize I'm talking about this. That's where I am. God's put me in a place that I am really struggling. I was once in one situation and I'm in another. And what I hope that we will see is that God wants to teach us things. He desperately wants to reveal things to us in those places. Maybe we've been in one of those situations in the past and we learned some lessons. I think that's probably true of a lot of us. But it's easy for those lessons to drift on back out of our mind, isn't it? As we move on forward, when we're not in the wilderness anymore, when we're not in that situation of tending sheep for our father-in-law. Interesting, though, before we even get to verse 2, where God appears, we see that God is already doing a work here in Moses' situation. It's interesting to me, it says that he went into the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He's off in the middle of nowhere But there's a mountain of God there. I don't know all of what that means, but God's present there in some way. Even more importantly than that, I want you to see what is his job. It's not a glamorous job. The scriptures teach us that. Being a shepherd was not a glamorous job. But what is he going to be called to do later in life? What is Moses' primary huge task to go and shepherd two million plus people out of one country into another through a wilderness. You think might be good preparation for that, that he's dealing with right here? Again, if we think about some of those wilderness places in our lives, what's God teaching us in that place to actually prepare us for things that he has for us to do in the future? Take a look at verse 2, where we begin to see this miraculous revealing of God. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, In a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, Moses takes notice. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So the miraculous thing, again, I'm not sure that it was miraculous in the desert for a bush to be burning. Perhaps you could see that happening. The miraculous thing was that it's not consumed. And this is a miracle. This is an appearance of God. Certainly some people would like to dismiss things like this, St. Elmo's fire, or somebody left a campfire going. That's not the message here. The message is that it's something that's special that happened, that's meant to capture his attention and draw Moses in to it. As we think about this again, I want us to think about the cross, because this is a Uh, microcosm. This is one type, a precursor of the revelation that God's going to do. He's revealing himself in this bush in a dramatic way to draw his attention. And we know from the scriptures that God reveals himself through Christ to get our attention. John chapter 1. You don't need to turn there, but I'll flip over there quickly for us. 
tells us in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's an appearing among us, just like this bush. And we have seen his glory. There's glory that Moses beholds here. Glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the one that we ultimately must see that is revealed to us. And as we look at this uh, bush burning and the miraculous nature of it, or really more importantly, if we look at the cross and the miraculous nature of it, the enlightenment, the reason, uh, a naturalistic worldview would tell us to put reason up above this and say there's no way this could happen. To say there's no way the cross could happen and he could rise from the dead. It's incredible what a closed-minded perspective that is. The scriptures are constantly pinging against that, challenging us to branch out of a closed-minded perspective that says all that could happen in existence is what I have seen in my uh, 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 years of my life in one little part of the world and says expand your horizons. God is doing a work, and in this case doing a miraculous work for sure in this bush. So there's no place to dismiss this as some kind of other thing besides a miracle. And what's so important about the miracle is not just that it happened, but what it shows us. Is that me making that noise? There we go. Sorry. Let's see if we can fix that. A couple things that we see here. One, God shows miracles. He's not doing card tricks. He's not trying to entertain people at a party and get some attention. What's he doing? Why is he jumping in in a bush? Why does he do that? Because he's got a message to deliver. Just as Jesus came. Jesus did this monumental thing on the cross, but he didn't just come and do it. He came and talked about doing it and what it was going to mean. And then he sent people afterwards to describe what it means for us. God's interested in communicating a message through his miracles. We also see his presence with this. Fire is always a sign in the scriptures when referring to God of his presence here. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. And then, of course, we see his holiness. Look with me at verse 5. This could be probably a whole sermon in itself, but verse 5. He tells, uh, he calls out to Moses, which is interesting. So he says, hey, Moses, you know, I'm here. Come and pay attention to me. Presumably come close. But then he also says this, verse 5. He says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. The place on which you are standing is holy ground. Of course, the feet of a person, especially in that culture, were symbolic of our sinfulness, symbolic of our depravity. So God's just saying to him that there's two things you need to know about me, two things I'm trying to reveal to you. One is that I'm entering into the world. I'm not sitting back just wringing my hands. I am here. I am doing a work. And come and draw near to me. And at the same thing, same place, God is saying to him just as loudly, I'm also set apart. I'm also a holy God. I'm also different from everything that you have seen. Think about what Christ does for us. Hebrews chapter 4, passage perhaps some of us have heard before. Let's see if I can get there. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about the privilege that we have if we're in Christ, if we put our trust in Christ, to be able to come near to this God who we don't really have a right to be able to approach. He invites us to come near. It says in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 4, Let us, I'm sorry, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest 
who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, it says, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. See that same thing playing out here with Moses. God is revealing that he desires for us to relate to him, but we've got to come through him, through a mediator, through a redeemer, through Jesus Christ. We move through these verses a little further. Those are some things that God has revealed to us. We see that God is one who reveals. He's also one that loves. Back in Exodus uh, 3, where we've been, in verse 7, you read along with me, it says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them. God doesn't stand from far off. He comes in. He enters. He cares about where Moses and the people of God are today. He cares, people, about where you are today. And even if nobody else sitting around this place today knows what's going on in your heart and some of the things you're struggling with, the living God does. He's fully aware of all those things. And we can take great comfort that he cares about us, that he loves us. And then we also see, though, even as Moses is hearing this, now picture, I don't know if I've got this exactly right, but picture, picture this interchange. God comes and tells Moses that he's going to go do this great thing. And regardless of what Moses is going through, he's got a heart for his people. So I'm sure he says, okay, you're going to go rescue the people. You care about them. You're going to go and deal with their problem. Right on, God. Go do your thing. Go get them, God. Get those Egyptians and take care of our people and bring them out. And then, wham. Take a look at verse 10 with me. And God says, to Moses, oh, by the way, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. How does God get done his plans and purposes in the world? Certainly through his working, certainly through his power, but in some strange way that I know a lot of us wrestle with how to understand, God chooses to use us. For those purposes, he likes to send people who he's called to achieve the things that he has for us. So he loves, he sends, he reveals. Let's take a look at the last things we see about who Moses is in light of all those things. Verse 11, how does Moses respond to this confrontation with the reality that he's going to be involved in the program Verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now we're going to see, we're, we're not even going to spend very much time on his second objection, but he actually has five objections that he gives to God. I mean, this guy is serious about trying to get out of this task. Um, and this is the very first one. Next week we'll actually look at some of the other ones and see what we learn from them. But let's focus in on this first one for today. Why is Moses saying this? Why does he respond in this way with fear? 
again, at one point in his life early on, he was ready to go take on the Egyptians by himself, expecting, you would presume, everybody, all of his people would rally to him. And so he goes and takes it upon himself to kill this one particular Egyptian. And what happens? Does he meet with success? No, he runs rock solid into failure. And we all know if we look around here, whether it's failure in the workplace or failure with goals we've got in our family or failure with where we want our marriage to be or failure in things that we want God to use us for in the church, when you run into failure, it sets you back on your heels. And in Moses' case, he's back out in the desert for years and years. And all of a sudden, God's coming and saying, I'm ready to use you for this purpose. And he's, got, he's self-confident either way. He had high self-confidence and zero God confidence, and that's what got him into the trouble with the Egyptian because he wasn't waiting on God. He wasn't following God. And now he's in the same situation. He only sees his ability and his capacity to do it. It was like, God, who am I to be sent out to do this? And the Lord tells him some very assuring words that should be assuring for us today as well. So he's afraid, and watch, he's assured. Verse 12. I read them real slowly when we went through so we wouldn't miss them. It says, but I will be with you. Probably some of the five most important words in all of Scripture, this reality that God will be with us. Look at it, though. Look, look at verse 19 real quick as we're wrapping up today. Look at, at verse 19 with him. Does he tell him it's all going to be uh, roses and all going to be dandy? He talks about this land of milk and honey, but does he tell him he's all, it's all going to play out without a glitch? No, verse 19. He tells Moses, I know the king of Egypt is not going to let you go. But he doesn't say this is all going to be a cakewalk. He never tells us that. But verse 20 he says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. God's going to be with him. He can be assured that God is doing a work through him. And, folks, that's the same thing for us. As we face people, perhaps, that we're seeking to share the gospel with in our family or in our friendships, and we wonder, can God break through this heart? God will be with us. As I mentioned earlier, we face situations of conflict or disagreement. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in our own family. Where do we get confidence to enter into those things and to try to bring the gospel to bear? Not from ourselves, but from the fact that God will be with us. Parents, many of us here, some of us have older kids, some of us have younger kids, but seeking to be the parents that God calls us to be, how are we going to do that? How are we going to achieve what God would have for us to do? We know our weaknesses. We know our failures. Our only hope is that God will be with us in those things. Moses is afraid, he's assured, and then, of course, we see here that he's assigned. God gives him things to do. God has a purpose for him in those relationships, just like we have purposes in those relationships, just like you've got a place in this church. God's calling you if you're here and connecting with this church. There's a place for you to serve and to be involved and to be used by God. There might be things that we're afraid to step out. We're afraid we don't have the gifts. We're afraid we don't have the ability. God says, I'll be with you. And enable you to do this. In conclusion, it's interesting to me, whenever you read through the Bible, and sometimes you wonder, that these people just not have a, uh, an editor system to edit out some of these redundancies? Did you notice how many times, I, I know you noticed how many times I read about the Hivites and the Canaanites, but did you notice how many times it talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is at least four times, maybe five times in there. As we conclude today, I just want you to think about the messages being conveyed, even in just those little words. God's saying to Moses, you know, those guys that seem to be forgotten, it's been hundreds of years since Joseph came down to Egypt. You know those guys that seem to be forgotten, that, that seem to be way in the past and the way I worked through their lives? And now you know your own life, Moses, and how you've been out in the wilderness and you feel like I haven't been working in your life? Well, guess what? I'm the God who worked through them, and now I'm, I'm here. I'm doing a work, a fresh new work of redemption. He's telling him he's there again. And he's telling him one other thing. You know, Moses, how you're imperfect, how you've fallen short, how you ran ahead of me at one point and fell flat on your face. Well, guess what? Abraham, you remember him? I'm the God of Abraham. He's the one that lied when he went down to Egypt uh, just to save his own hide and put his wife at great risk in order to lie. Jacob, I think we all know, was a deceiver. That was his name even refers to. I'm the God of these kind of people who uses these kind of people to fulfill my purposes. That's who God is. That's who we are today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do just praise you as we look at ourselves and think think of ourselves just a slight bit today. We recognize that we got a lot of fear too, Lord, and we've got places in our lives of wilderness and wandering. Father, we pray that you would teach us in those places and that in the things that you're calling us to, that we would be prepared to step forward, Lord, not in in our strength or ability, but knowing that you're the God of the universe who sends us out with great power, with your working, who goes before us, who comes behind us, who's at our left and who's at our right, who oversees us and undergirds us, Father. We praise you that you are this God who will be with us. And we praise you that you've revealed these things to us, having left us in this dark pit of a cave, but have come and entered in to speak to us, to reveal to us the things of Christ and our redemption in him, and to reveal to us the things that you call us to as your people. We praise you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.